No idea, good or bad, is worth shelving without working it through.、Um, a lot of great ideas end up coming from bad ideas, so it's important to think about the approach and、uh, the attempt that's being made、uh, in that sort of design. And、uh, um, on the other side of the coin,、uh, you know, you also have to be very comfortable with killing your darlings. What's better than a Third Floor Wars exclusive interview with Matt Carter and Kyle Rowan from Weird Games? They have just released Gaining Grounds Season One, the first Malifaux Third Edition Arata, and the first Malifaux Third Edition FAQ. Matt, Kyle, and I talk through all three of them. I think it's fascinating to find out really what their approach was. What were they thinking before they even stepped into it? How did they get started deciding what model should be part of the Arata and which one should be left alone? How do they decide which rules needed some clarification in the FAQ? What are the new strategies and schemes that they created for gaining grounds season one? More importantly, why were they created, and which ones did they get rid of? This is a packed episode. I recommend listening to it at least twice. Enjoy. Strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the tabletop talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking with Matt Carter and Kyle Rowan from Weird Games. Now, our first guest is the game designer at Weird Games, Matt Carter. And Matt's been on the show before. If you have not listened to that episode,、uh, it was it came out I think、uh, around fall of last year,、uh, right when M3E dropped, and、uh, we got some incredible insights from Matt on kind of what what their thoughts were on、uh, third edition. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Make sure you listen to it. It's a must listen, as far as I'm concerned. So Matt, welcome back to the third floor. Hi, thanks for having me again. Yeah, man. So、uh, you have had nothing going on over the last six months, right? You haven't been busy or anything.、Uh, nothing at all. <laughs> very, very boring. <laughs> I bet.、Um, so the last time you were on, we kind of got your history. We found out, you know, how you got into miniature gaming and things like that. I would be curious, though is there, is there any gaming you do outside of miniatures?、Um, yeah, I mean,、uh, I still play a lot of board games whenever I get the chance, and.、Uh, Mostly video games all the time. I've been playing CRPGs on my computer.、Constantly. Oh yeah, so, nice. So can can we ask what you've been playing recently?、Uh, the most recent game I've been playing is Pathfinder Kingmaker. Nice. A couple years ago.、So. Now, do you do、uh, any tabletop RPGs at all?、Uh, right now, I'm in a fifth edition campaign. Um, and then we occasionally play、uh, through the breach of the office. So very nice, very nice. So my second guest is new to the show. He is the design lead at Weird Games, Kyle Rowan.、Uh, this is Kyle's first time, and hopefully not last time on the show. So Kyle, welcome to the third floor. Hello, everyone. It、um, you're going to get the standard question, Kyle, because this is your first time on. Which is, how did you find miniature gaming, and how did you eventually find Malifo? Uh, so it all kind of happened by a mistake. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, I was in Austin at the time looking for a board game, uh, went to the local shop, caught a glimpse of, you know, the dark world of Malifaux in the corner of the store and had to know more, you know, who are those characters? What is this game? Uh, you know, started asking questions, uh, local henchmen, uh, there helped me out quite a bit and, you know, scooped up the starter box and that was that, um, uh, I, I tried looking into that shop uh, recently. I couldn't find the name. It might have even closed down. Um, it, if anyone is in Austin, though, it was right by uh, the Alamo Draft House down there. Nice. Uh, but uh, a fine mustachioed gentleman down there uh, helped me out. Uh, so if you're listening, thank you for getting <laughs> me in the Malifaux. So was that your first miniature game then, uh, Kyle? First time playing a miniature war game? Uh, yeah, so I have uh, kind of a history in video game design, and uh, I played board games more as a hobby, and then, yeah, Malifaux was my introduction to minis games. I mean, I was aware of the other ones, but I hadn't uh, played them firsthand. Um, you know, uh, a lot of friends in my area would play some, and I, I would watch, but never firsthand experience it, so... Gotcha, gotcha. And have you have you uh, played outside of Malifaux, or has that been your game exclusively, as far as mini games go? Uh, since then, uh, no, I've, I've you know it, it's it's different when you're on the d- uh, designer side. You know, you want to sure. you want to look at the uh, at, at other games, but from a more analytical approach. Um, um, there are some hybrid board games that I do try to dip my toes in. Uh, most recently, Kingdom Death I've been playing. Nice. Um, and, and you could argue that that's you know a miniatures game with a, a board yeah. game on top, um, cooperative. But um, yeah, for the most part, uh, it, it's still tried and true Malifaux for me. So a question, this is kind of for both of you, but we'll start with Kyle. How hard is it for you guys to take your designer hat off when you're playing another game? And I don't mean another mini game, but even a board game where you can actually just sit back and enjoy it. Or do you find yourself constantly, you know, thinking about mechanics and thinking about stuff like that? Kyle, is it, are you able to unplug as a designer and just play games? No, uh, for, me, <laughs> for me, it's pretty much impossible. Um, yeah. but it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, the second you, Pretty much in any entertainment industry, uh, I feel like it's the the case. The, the second you see behind the curtain, the magic kind of disappears. Yeah. Um, but it's just a different kind of magic back there. You end up realizing, um, and that's kind of why I fell into uh, in love with design as a whole. Is you, you just think about those games very differently. Yeah. Um, now, when I need an escape, uh, I usually go into a book or a movie right. instead. Um, but yeah, games these days are very much uh, an analysis first, and I, I can't escape that. Yeah, I can understand. How about you, Matt? Are you the same? Uh, I'm a little bit different. Um, if I am trying to, like, hardcore win a game playing competitively, then I'm going to think about it really analytically. But if I'm just trying to relax, I'll just kind of turn on the stupid switch and just yep. forget about everything. <laughs> um, and that's the only way I can really, like not think about those issues. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I mean, from a player perspective, that's what um, uh, that Marvel game that I've been playing uh, has been for me is that, you know, Malifaux I, is my passion. It's my love, obviously. And uh, it's the best game out there, hands down. 
Um, but it, it takes a lot and which is part of why I love it. Right. It takes a, it's, it's a deep game. It, um, uh, the, what the decisions you make matter more than any other game I've ever played board game or a uh, minis game. So what's kind of nice to me it, it, every once in a while is to pull out that Marvel game and play that because I don't have to think I can just sit back and enjoy and go pew pew and, uh, <laughs> and actually, uh, have fun with it. Um, but, uh, we're not here to talk about any of that. Let's start off gentlemen. We are now several months since release with third edition. Um, and, uh, uh, I would be curious to know, uh, Matt, really, um, what are your thoughts about how things have been going for the past eight, nine months? Uh, it's going great. <laughs> like, to be uh, all honest, um, we're really happy with everything that's kind of come forward. It's it's always something that you don't really know, uh, especially going into a new edition, how people will um, see it. Sometimes people completely hate the new edition. Sometimes yeah. it goes off without a hitch and... Um, Granted, there have been a few small uh, setbacks, but um, we're it's it's really amazing. Well, and I get the impression, Matt, that the setbacks have nothing to do with game design, right? And and things like that. Those have been setbacks. That I think have been outside of that realm. Um, and I think I cannot imagine how nerve wracking Kyle must have been to be sitting on this baby for as long as you guys did, and then finally let the world see the see the baby pictures and hope they don't think it's ugly. That <laughs> that must have been just incredibly nerve wracking. Uh, yeah, a little bit of uh, nerves, uh, a lot of excitement, uh, and that's that's a feeling that you can't really describe, uh, that weird blend between both of those. Um, yeah. Mostly excitement, um, but yeah, uh, just like Matt said, uh, we were blown away by the response once we finally got it out. Uh, you know, we're, we're on our third reprint of The Core Rules. God, that's uh, amazing. Uh, and, you know, that third reprint is already, you know, on its way out. So we're looking at a fourth already. So uh, that's it's been huge for us, uh, and uh, we're just super excited to to move the game forward even more now. So, Kyle, out of curiosity, um, what's been the biggest surprise for you since since uh, since release? Um, the thing, what, what did you and Matt really did not see coming that that's happened? Whew. Uh, so there's there's been surprise after surprise. I guess the uh, the one that sticks out to me is how many people signed Cooper's contract. Uh, that was <laughs> that was a, a different type of surprise. Uh, maybe yeah. people should read the fine print a little bit more. Um, that was a fun little experiment. But, that was um, fun. Yeah. No, I mean, like every day we hop on the forums or in a weird place, and there's uh, some sort of reaction that's surprising us uh, to some extent. So um, the Cooper moment is is the one thing that I always go back to, though, um, mainly because we're we're working on that crew. So it's kind of the main conversation. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. Matt, what has surprised you? Um, very simply the, the hat for our Jeep. Oh, How yeah. much that blew up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never in a million years thought that one stupid hat would make Archie be so prominent all of a sudden. And like, he's very good as we'll yeah, talk about later. Too. Yeah. But like, people were just like, I want that hat. Oh, <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I, I called it. I'm like, uh, th this is, this is the dumbest, best idea I've ever seen. It happened. Uh, Matt just randomly said it in conversation as we were, uh, <laughs> working on the idea of, uh, black tongue bonnet. And, uh, it, it was one of those crazy ideas that you just toss out that had to happen. It just yeah. had to happen. 
yeah. and then you know we further push that with Archie, you know, the ridiculousness of that on his card. So now that that was that's a, that was a good happenstance. It was uh, I knew I had a feeling it was either a beautiful mistake or ridiculously planned ahead. Uh, so it's good <laughs> good to see maybe it was a little bit of both, more right. mistake than anything. But um, so I'd be curious, Matt. Um, you know, a lot of changes from two to three. Um, and I, Matt, I know you listen to the podcast, so you've heard, you know, a lot of opinions about it. I'd be curious to know what changes you think have had the biggest or the best impact on the game. Yeah. Uh, so I think I talked about it slightly before the last time we talked, but, um, kind of the thematics of how building crews work and keywords. Oh, yeah. That has been doubt. so big for everything kind of we, we approach. And it's been one of the, most positively received kind of feedback that we get. And it's really fun to design around like less individual models and more, how can this benefit the crew as a whole? Um, and so kind of all the changes that spread from that is, is massive. And it's uh, a really big boon for third edition um, that I'm really excited. We decided on. Yeah, that was, that was a good decision. How about you, Kyle? Uh, no, more or less the same. We are a, uh, as, Competitive as Malifaux is, we're also a character and story-driven game, um, and we were really able to make those crews shine um, on the table as much as in their stories. Um, we're able to create real strengths and weaknesses based on the situation with the keyword system. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing unique lists, which is what we wanted from the start. We didn't want to see the same characters popping up across all the factions uh, and that sort of thing. So, uh um, yeah, no, the, the keyword system was that about. Yeah. And, and what I think I, I found Kyle is that it, it really did. A, it, you, you ended up in the kind of the best of both worlds where you, you took care of everybody's desire to be thematic and character driven, but quite frankly, it, it, it made things, I think from a competitive standpoint better, but, um, it also, so there's certain things I consider like distinctly Malifaux. Um, things that I think ma make Malifaux different as a guy who's played more than a dozen different minis games. One of the things that I think makes Malifaux Malifaux is, is the idea of a variable pool and the, the fact that we build and decide crew selection after knowing the variable win conditions. And boy, does keyword, uh, that keyword system fit into that perfectly. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, hopefully, uh, you're just going to see that getting highlighted even more and gaining grounds uh, in season one. Um, there are going to be strategies and schemes that are just better for one crew versus another. And, you know, that's okay. That's yep. kind of the, 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 what makes Malifaux special is that I one, agree. one day you can uh, put Terra out uh, and the next day you're going to need to put Levy out or, you know, Jack Daw or yep. maybe if you're not an outcast player, uh, go, go somewhere else. But, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you don't want to hear my thoughts on outcast <laughs> so guy, the reason i have both of these gentlemen on the uh uh the podcast is um uh either it has is just about to be released or it's going to be released soon we're going to be seeing uh some new information we're going to be getting gaining ground season one um our first faq for third edition and our first errata for third edition and i really you know, I want to understand not what changed because we can all read the documents when they're when they're in our hands and do it. What I really want to get an understanding from these gentlemen is, you know, what was the design design decisions made? What was what was driving what we ended up with um, after these things have been released? Um, so if it's OK with you guys, I'd like to start with uh, Gaining Ground Season 1. 
um, and kind of touch on a few things. Um, one, uh, I would like to talk about uh, the terrain and how terrain um, has been laid out and defined uh, there. Um, so, Kyle, can you give us an idea of what the, the thinking is behind the terrain section of Gaining Grounds 1? Uh, well, I mean, just existing in the document um, was uh, pretty new in comparison to someone who's coming from second edition. Um, the way we see Gaining Grounds, though, is that it's essentially a tool for both experienced tournament organizers, event organizers, and newcomers who want to build those events. Um, we want it to feel like a toolbox and a resource. Um, the amount of terrain on a table makes such a huge impact in Malifaux. So we wanted to make sure that um, it wasn't in, uh, an easy thing to overlook. Um, you know, sight lines break certain crews for better or worse. Uh, we just wanted to make sure that anyone who's not familiar with putting a table together to have these ground rules that they can reference. Um, now, comparatively to uh, season zero, we have learned a few things. We've uh, we've gotten some feedback, um, and uh, so we are making some changes in that section. Um, they aren't huge, but sometimes a little change makes a big impact. Yeah, what's funny about that, Kyle, is you you talk about things you don't anticipate. Gaining Ground Zero came out. I read through it and I looked at it, and um, uh, I think you guys gave it to me a day or two before it was released to everybody. And and I was and I read the train section. I'm like, okay, that's cool. And I kept going. I had no idea that you would be. Um, uh, starting the the uh, the revolution <laughs> with with the uh, the guidelines that you put in there and uh, boy the uh, you guys had a great little joke on a Waldo's Weekly about it um, <laughs> which uh, I thought was fantastic Matt anything outside of what Kyle talked about that you think is uh, significant about uh, terrain for Malifaux in general or for uh, gaining grounds one Yeah um, one of the things that we talk about is just how to set up like. Um, choke points and uh, kind of lanes, which is really important to how mobility works um, for Malifaux in general. Getting around the table is uh, pretty key to, to winning. Um, and one of the things that um, was an idea that we were just like, how do we make sure that this works is just put a 50 mil base on the table, make sure people can walk through that because that's the biggest size base that you're going to really see. And having the ability to move through a gap is very important. Granted, you don't have to have 250 mils through, fit through anything, but um, the ability to, like, Euripides move from one place to another is pretty important. Yeah. And so just setting those guidelines so that even players that have never put a table together before can see, like, okay, I can put, like, a lot of terrain, but kind of leave these small gaps. Um, and we think it just makes the the game better from a, a, just a terrain standpoint. Yeah. And I think, I think it was an, I think it's an elegant decision too, because it, it simplifies things. Um, I mean, the terrain section in gaining grounds one is small and it's very to the point and I think it's simplified. So I agree. So Matt, um, let's, let's move over to uh, kind of the game variants. Um, I'd like to hear uh, kind of your thoughts on that section. Yeah. So game variants are the idea that every meta that's out there from, uh, just our local meta to even South Carolina to across the pond in England. Like everyone plays the game very differently. And we didn't want to limit any individual meta from playing a specific way by saying you have to play with dual masters or you have to play with that man's hand or any of these other things. And so giving people the, the choice behind the matter and saying like, whatever you want to do with these is fine. 
um, locally, like when we run tournaments, we plan on using them just as much as anyone else. Some less than others because some make for crazier tournaments. Right. Right. Kyle, what were your thoughts as far as uh, game variants? Uh, no, Matt and I are more or less on the same page. You know, some people include Dead Man's Hand Masters, others don't. Some allow multiple masters, others don't. And, you know, neither decisions, uh, the, the, neither are wrong. Yeah. Uh, we're in the business of, uh, we're not in the business of telling people how to play, uh, Malifaux. We're making sure, sh- in the business of making sure that people are having fun, you know. Uh, on top of that, um, we also added other ways players can enjoy the game that they might not have thought of, uh, you know, ban lists, uh, too many secrets, uh, those sorts of things just add a little bit of spice to the game. Um, that just, yeah. Uh, the second you start getting bored of the standard, you can try something a little bit differently. Yeah, I agree. Now I, here's the question for you, Kyle, not necessarily which one do you think is the best, but what is the, what is the game variant that you get the most excited about? It's going to sound wrong, but uh, ban lists, really. Uh, yeah. I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but uh, it makes crew building uh, that much more important. Uh, it makes, uh, you know, suddenly you're playing a McMorning crew. You really want to put him on the table. Um, it might not be the easiest thing uh, to plan for for your opponent. And making it that much more difficult, I think, is an interesting choice. Um, and it's just, you know, if... If it doesn't work for your community, but it works in ours, you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, we know people have uh, strong opinions on ban lists, so I don't want to step on anyone's toes with that one. But, uh, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's what gets you excited, right, Matt? Sure. Yeah. I, it, so personally, when I like play like from a casual or competitive play, I want to play like I think we put in uh, it's called limited of just like ban format with fixed lists and vanilla. So no upgrades that to me is how like, I really enjoy playing. It's a bit simpler, but a way more hardcore in terms of like, I need to know the fundamentals of the game to, to right. proceed. I can't necessarily put an upgrade on something and know that it's always going to be there. And that, uh, I don't want to call it crutch, but like have that uh, extra aspect. And so utilizing different formats to to play in better ways like bands i think is great for competitive just in general the ability to say like i'm playing mcmorning man i really don't want to see like that one piece of condition removal that's going to completely shut me down i can say like no i don't want to see that or if if you're allowing dual masters you can say like hey i don't want to see zareda as a second master anyway i can ban that swamp fiend keyword i don't have to deal with that and i can plan around that and that gives um you a bit more freedom um but it, it lets you play the crew that you want to play without worrying that everything's going to kind of uh, hammer down on you. So I'm real anxious to see um, which of these variants um, start seeing a little bit more play. Um, I get now granted, I don't talk to everybody that runs tournaments, but I get a chance to connect with a lot of people that do. And I'm not hearing a lot of the variants being used, even though as far as USFO tour is concerned, we allow it. I'll be very interested to see if, and when we see, some of these, uh, for lack of a better word, non-standard uh, variants go in there. I've um, been talking with Ray and some other people about potentially making the uh, Third Floor Wars U.S. Masters in October a banned list because, Matt, I agree with you. Um, I think that that uh, – or uh, Kyle, uh, I think you mentioned banned. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting format, especially for the ultra-competitive – meta knowledge players which hopefully you know we would see at at masters so other things that we're going to see in uh gaining grounds one is um 
some uh, new strategies. Um, so, Kyle, do you want to kind of give us an idea of what we can look forward to there? Uh, yeah. So, uh, I guess starting off, we can talk about uh, bringing back a fan favorite. Uh, Symbols of Authority will be coming back. Uh, we're giving it uh, a bit of a facelift to make sure that it works the, the way we want it to uh, in third edition, but it's uh, essentially going to play very similarly to what people remember. Uh, people love it. You know, we love it. I uh, thought it was a good time to bring it back. And from from a design perspective, Kyle, like what drove that for you? Was it just uh, saying, "Hey, this was this was an oldie but a goodie. Let's give it a facelift," or was there kind of a bigger thought process behind bringing back symbols? So that's that's a larger uh, question than just specifically symbols of authority. It's kind of the the approach we took with gaining ground season one as a whole. We wanted um, to touch base on familiarity, but also making sure that the game was uh, fresh. Um, and that's a kind of a delicate balance, um, but we wanted to make sure that uh, Gaining Ground Season 1 uh, had some punch to it. Um, so to have that punch, though, you did need to kind of hit the comfort zones a little bit. Um, and luckily, Symbols of Authority was just kind of this, uh, this spot where we already knew it worked well, people loved it, and uh, it just seemed like the right time for it. Yeah, that's a tough balance, uh, Kyle. Matt, how did you guys navigate that balance? Um, uh, primarily, it's kind of looking at each of the four strategies and all the schemes coming along and making sure that any sort of list can play in certain places. So you're not having a master that's completely just out of the, the meta for a year. And that Symbols has different goals and kind of um, design uh, intention than, say, the, the rest of them that we'll get to. And uh, letting you kind of play in different ways was really important. So there were not just like all of these are kill focused. Um, but in terms of like symbols specifically, one of the things that changed was just how we approach scoring victory points in um, third edition. Uh, with the core rules, we really approached a sort of exponential growth of victory points. And we still like that concept of saying things get harder as we go along. Um, symbols was one of those that because there are less of these markers, it kind of naturally leans itself towards that anyway. And you yeah. have to keep doing it every turn. That's the really important part for a lot of these is the idea of um, continual use. So you can't just say, set it and forget it, like some right. of the old things. So, Yeah, and it doesn't happen as incidentals either. So like another thing that I noticed about symbols in particular is, I mean, to a certain degree, there's some strategies. I mean, you saw a little bit in Turf War, you see it in Reckoning, where I'm going to be do I'm going to be killing things anyway. So if I end up scoring, that's great. Whereas it seems like um, in, you have to... In, you have to be more intentional to to score something like symbols. Yeah. Uh, so after symbols, uh, Matt, what is uh, the one do you think people are going to uh, notice? Uh, so we already talked about this next one with Waldo's Weekly that came out, what, yeah, two days ago? Um, recover evidence. So that's one of the brand new strategies for GG1. And uh, it kind of takes the idea of you having to defend your own... Um, resources while also fighting back against your opponent and uh, it's it's really exciting um we're we're super happy for it. it it puts a bit more kill focus um back in the game so symbols you don't have to kill your opponent obviously it's going to be very good recover evidence you do have to fight against your opponent now right. we're always working to change things so the sim the recover evidence that was shown off two days ago uh, might not be exactly what shows up in Gaining Grounds 1 because that even that s small bit of feedback that we get from a larger community than just our playtesters shows us a lot. So the ability to say, like, 
um, adjusting it down so it's, it's slightly easier to, to get across. But um, maybe the 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 markers are slightly put out in, in the a minute way that's right. slightly different. That um, it just it it allows us to do things a little bit differently. So recover evidence of instead of saying like kill of just saying like hey if you get them to one HP. Like that is enough difference that saying like hard to kill is a big mechanic of the game. Yeah. But if you can hit that that mark, then you can keep them around, and then you can do anything you want once they're still there and they're at really low HP. So that idea of just saying like you're at low HP, please stay here while I like deliver a message or or whatever I else want to do to you. Right. So yeah, and it's got to be. Um, it's got to happen over and over again, Kyle. I would imagine that. You know, this you, you you make a small adjustment, and there's there's a huge ripple effect in, in, in a way that you almost can't anticipate. That you just have to kind of get crowdsourced. I would imagine within versus completely within. No, there's there's a hundred little things that we have to be aware of uh, when making those uh, minute little details. Yeah, um, recover evidence is a good example of it. Um, but ultimately, we wanted to come out with you know a theme heavy. Uh, strategy, you know, tells a story via gameplay. I think we accomplished that. Um, hopefully, uh, people aren't going to be twiddling their thumbs on uh, each side of the table till one of them wins. We wanted to make sure that wasn't the kind of a thing. And that was, uh, we, we saw some of the, the flaws in uh, previous strategies of uh, previous editions um, that had those sorts of issues where you were playing different games and uh, that, that that was a major focus of us uh, for gaining grounds uh, season one as a whole too. Make sure that interaction happened. Um, well, and the change that you guys made in third edition to really make the strategy matter more, uh, just by the uh, adjustment of only two points per scheme versus three, uh, it, it puts a little bit more weight um, on the design decisions you make for the strategies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna see that with uh, strategies versus schemes in gaining ground season one. Um, there's there's definitely a focus on the strategies for sure. Schemes are still important. They're going to probably be a little bit more challenging to get off, um, but that's okay. You know, uh, we, we we do want people to uh, kind of think differently about uh, the way these strats and scenes are going to play out on the table. The idea of the the changing how points work with four dish, uh, four points for the strat and four points for schemes that that is one of the the kind of pivotal points that we think has changed a lot of how the, the minutia of the game changes um, and had a huge impact on kind of everything. And so we were just talking about that yesterday of um, really the difference between like us sharing something and that's worth half as much as our kind of secret um, objectives. Let the game not feel like we can just win by playing with ourselves. Yeah, it was it was a huge change, uh, a bigger change than I realized when I first saw it. Right when I first saw third edition and saw that 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 that's how things were changing, it it wasn't until probably my tenth game of third edition did I realize and just how overarching the impact change was. Yeah, with second edition, you could occasionally just like ignore the strategy and be like, I'm going to get one point from this, and that's all I really care about. Um, but with third, you have to pay attention to these kind of interactive. Um, moments between the players. Um, otherwise, you're, you are going to fall behind. And how it's scoring every turn, you can't just sit on your heels and um, do something all at once. You have to continuously work towards your goals. And it, it makes for a better game. I, I agree. I think thematically, one of the, the biggest things that I um, ended up liking the most 
about third edition is um, you, you just you, you have to deal with your opponent more in third edition than you did in second edition. You don't have the option that you did sometimes in second edition to, to just sit back to your point. Um, Kyle, how about uh, corrupted ley lines? Can you give us an idea of what, what the thinking was there? <laughs> uh, so we have an interesting story about corrupted ley lines. <laughs> okay. Uh, so that one uh, started off uh, – the best way I could probably describe it is a heated debate. <laughs> uh, you know, we both uh, had similar ideas in the design room. Uh, we thought we were on the same page. Uh, that turns out it wasn't the case. <laughs> Went to the playtesting room, visually show off what we were all talking about. Uh, and now, you know, neither of those ideas are even in the game. Uh, both, Isn't that funny? Both have evolved since then. Um, but uh the the core aspects of them are uh, still in there. Um, basically, we took one idea and made corrupted ley lines, and the other idea into uh, uh, runic binding, um, which is one of huh. the upcoming schemes. Um, but uh, corrupted ley lines is another one that tells you know another great story. We have a world uh, where the magic is often in the stuff in the ground. You know, the ley lines are connecting everything. And what if? What happens when some of that gets corrupted? You know, someone's got to clean it up, um, you know. And so the, the concept, though, was essentially what are these ley lines? How could we define them on the table? Um, and the wild idea was that, you know, what if we did something like magic meets circuitry, um, which kind of combines two major uh, themes in Malifaux. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's that's kind of how we're, we hope it is going to be played on the table and viewed on the table. Um We've got some players and playtesters uh, currently who loathe it and uh, <laughs> some who are currently having trouble understanding it. It is a large, uh, a lot of text on that card. Um, but we're also seeing that, you know, some, some players are telling us it's the best game that, of Malifaux that they had in years. So we do expect that one to be polarizing. Um, I personally am a huge fan of it. Uh, I think that it gets uh, players into the opposite side of the table very uh, quickly, um, and you're going to be interacting all over the place uh, constantly, and I think that's um, something that drives the, the strat as a whole. So question for you, Matt, how, you know, Kyle kind of talked about, you know, kind of a thematic and for lack of a better word, fluffy yeah. uh, a thought uh, as far as that. When you guys are coming up, I mean, there's two ways to look at at anything in the game, but let's focus on strategies. There's, you know, you've got kind of the fluffy, the feel you want for the strategy, and then you've got the, you know, the, the core mechanics, which comes first. Does it, does, does one come first always, or does it change sometimes? Um, both. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's yeah, uh, like corrupted ley lines was the idea of um, we really wanted to push like teamwork, saying like like this, a model cannot do this by themselves. Right. Um, all the other strategies you can you can go and have one model technically do that by itself. It's probably very very hard. Where corrupted ley lines, it it absolutely requires um, multiple models and and really putting the idea of teamwork into play. And that was one thing that pushed it. And thematically, um, like it, it just came about the idea of like that that circuit board and drawing um, geometric shapes, uh -huh. um, which we thought was really really cool. And they were two separate ideas to start with, and they kind of merged together. So it really depends um, where the the kind of thought process comes from. 
of if we want to start thematically, it might just be a name of something or how <laughs> it works. And then we just kind of go along from there. So even working on models, I might say like, oh, I really like how this sounds on this card or I want to reference this one thing. How can I make this play into mechanically what I want that to do? Um, and Corrupted Ley Lines is just one of those that um, has a has that weird origin of circuit boards. <laughs> That's um, cool. I thought it was fun. So, yeah. Um, so, Matt, talk to me about Public Enemies, which is the one that I found extremely interesting. Yeah, Public Enemies is um, for GG. It's it's like the reckoning of of uh, season one. It's to push the idea of sometimes you just want to kill things. It's fun. But you can't making uh, the idea of just kill everyone is not really in the Malifaux way. So how do we yep. adjust it to make it as as interesting as possible while while relying on um, really tactical decision making? So public enemies uh, uh, kind of took a, a symbols of authority like approach in that we were looking at old strats and uh, ways of reinventing them. Uh, so Public Enemies is actually the uh, natural progression of an older one called Collect the Bounty. Yep. Uh, so that one was based off of, you know, peons, minions, and so forth. Uh, that didn't work as cleanly anymore with 3rd Edition, um, but uh, leaning into the cost of a model I thought was uh, the, the best approach that we can take while making that sort of uh, strat feel right for uh, the latest version of the game. Uh, and I think we had a sweet spot with it. So here's what I found that was interesting about it. So the, there's one of the things I liked about reckoning and I really, I like about any strategy or, even, or any pool is I, I wanted to impact my decisions in crew building and not only from a keyword perspective, but literally what models I bring into the crew. And what I think was something that the metas figured out um, pretty quickly was the idea of how many reckoning points am I making available when I, when I play reckoning. Um, and you know, you would, you would have to be, you would have to have a serious thought behind bringing a henchman in or a second master in because of how reckoning worked. What I like about public enemies is you guys turned the volume up on that. Um, where it's not just, you know, do I bring a henchman or not or a second master or not, but the the cost of the model. So, uh, that's, that's, um, I, I, I really, I, I think what Matt said was, was right, which is a, a very nice natural progression. Um, so well done on that guys. Um, uh, it was, uh, maybe at surface, not the most, uh, interesting one, but it was the one that really caught my eye. So guys, what I want to do is take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to keep talking about, uh, gaining ground season one and touch on some of the, uh, schemes that we're going to uh, see there. So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code 
third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. Uh, Gaining Grounds 1 not only gives us uh, some new strategies, but it, it also gets uh, some new schemes for us. And so, but Kyle, before we kind of go over some of the new schemes and the, how schemes changed, I'd like to get an idea uh, from a design perspective. So before anybody in the office sat down and created anything new or changed anything from a scheme perspective, what, what, what were some of the goals that you guys set out for that process? Uh, again, with uh, just like with the strategies like symbols of authority and public enemies, you know, familiarity is important, um, but uh, so is giving new ways of playing the game. So we had to make sure that we uh, met both of those goals. Um, that was especially important for us for season one, being that this is you know the, the first major gaining grounds. Um, you know, and you you might look at some of these schemes right now and think. Uh, they might sound more difficult than they actually are. Uh, and uh, as I said earlier, some are that way, and that's fine. Um, uh, there's one in particular that comes to mind that uh, reads as basically impossible, but it's not. Um, you read it and you think, there's no way I'm getting this done. Uh, you start realizing that you know ice pillars work, pyre markers work, and suddenly you're thinking outside the box of how to score points. Uh, and all of a sudden underplayed crews are being given new life that way. And that's uh, kind of the third uh, major thing that we wanted to hit with Gaining Ground Season 1 is making sure that uh, new crews were being considered to get these points scored. Um, breathing life into, uh, into, yeah, into crews that are uh, being a little underplayed right now that we think are just as uh, interesting but might have had some challenges in uh, Season 0. Well, that's one thing that's great about uh, the game in general and the Gaining Grounds concept. Um, so, Matt, I'd be curious from a design perspective, um, how often are you guys worried about uh, what I call dead schemes, um, which are schemes that when they end up in the pool, they just don't seem to be taken very often? Um, how, how much of that is being, being thought of in this process? Uh, well, we obviously we don't want that. It is a bad thing. Um, but we do try to make it so sometimes the the strategy will just not work with what you want to do with this certain stream. So it will happen. Or you declared uh, your your keyword and your master, and you're just like, look, I, there's no way I'm getting this scheme. And that's okay. As yep. long as it... As long as each of them kind of has a place in the world and can be chosen in different circumstances and allow for different types of play. So if you're really wanting to play Colette, and you're like, I don't necessarily want to take the duet or kill people, there's still the, the idea of like, there's a bunch of schemes you can do that don't require you to kill people. Um, so the, the, the idea of dead schemes, like it happens, we want yeah. to avoid it as much as possible, but uh, it's the most important thing is that they still have a role within gaining grounds and people will take them um, at, at, at specific points. Some might be taken more than others and that's okay. So man, out of curiosity, do you think that there's one uh, either change scheme or new scheme that you think is going to get the most, uh, attention at first that we're going to hear the most about um there are some of the new schemes that are different like kyle was just saying um research mission for example like it there are some crews that just don't really want to take research mission it requires different types of markers there are some crews that would love to take research mission of just being like yeah i can put out an ice marker a scheme and literally anything else and be just fine if you don't 
have some sort of aspect to play that it's it's not really worth taking and i wouldn't recommend it but the the crews that can take it it does allow a new avenue of them playing um and so that that idea of here we're going to talk about markers which is a a style of game uh like a, a core mechanic game that we don't really talk about that much in terms of scoring in general we talk about ski yep. markers and course markers a lot but just the idea of like hey we have a bunch of terrain markers in in third edition how can we make those as interesting and impactful as possible with just scoring points yeah the first time you read research mission or i i'll speak for myself the first time i read research mission I, it did not hit me that it didn't spe- specify ski markers. I just assumed it in my head. Then I read it the second time and I went, oh, this is a lot more interesting than I thought. <laughs> um, uh, so I'll be, it'll be interesting to see, um, cause I think it's going to hit on what you talked about, Kyle, which is let's get some other keywords uh, in play and let's use things that are already in the game a little bit differently. Um, so Kyle, for you, what is, what are some of this, what's the scheme that you're either most excited about or you think that's going to get a lot of chat or attention? Uh, runic binding, which we kind of already touched upon, um, you know, uh, it being the natural evolution of uh, two different ideas. Uh, I think it's a really interesting scheme. Um, again, players will be thinking about the game a little bit differently, containing their opponents in an interesting way. Um, sabotage will be fun for players. Um, sabotage was interesting for us because it started off as, uh, thinking about, uh, search the ruins in a different light. Uh-huh. Um, and you kind of get the, it started off as like the inverse of that. Um, and it's evolved since then, but, uh, I think that that's going to be another popular one. Um, yeah, th- those two in particular have me excited. Uh, yeah, and I haven't played Sabotage yet, but I'll be, I can't wait to because I think what's going to be interesting with Sabotage is how defending it and denying it evolves over time. Right. Um, it's it's going to be very, very interesting to see how that unfolds. One of the ideas that we wanted to approach with schemes in general, um, where um, GG1 and the core rules, like you could kind of get away with, uh, with interacting with the schemes by yourself. And uh, adding players the uh, opportunity to deny you, while it might not um, be as popular among our players, the idea of, well, this is not the most consistent points ever. Um, it does make for a way more interesting game to say, like, I can, I might not be able to score my point, but if I can deny you a turn, that is going to be very beneficial. It could also completely blow up in your face. <laughs> yeah. It's happened to me in one of our playtest games. I was playing Sabotage, and I was like, oh, I can try to deny him a point by removing one of these markers. And I was like, nope, I just lost a point, and that caused me to completely <laughs> lose the game. And so having the idea to, to give yourself those decision points of saying, like, I can walk over there and potentially stop him if, if I know what he's doing. But it also says, like, I can bluff. Like, putting... Um, one of these that uh, is really interesting is spread them out, which is just having markers far away from each other. It's really easy to bluff just other schemes because yep. those are just mark, just ski markers. As soon as they're on your opponent's half of the table, they're good for you. And if you're trying to do specific stuff, you can set up your opponents in really interesting ways. And it just gives more ideas to like secrets and, and scheming and all these back end like thievy kind of stuff. It's really, really fun. <laughs> I, I got I to say to both of you, I love how much 
the fluffiness uh, comes through um, in your thinking because it. Um, I think it would be very easy um, in your job to think just mechanically, and I and I got to tell you, I love I love that you guys keep that in mind. So, Kyle, looking at uh, this uh, overall, the the schemes that are, are going to that are in uh, gaining grounds one. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. Which one do you consider a fix? Where you think that you kind of fix fix something that was not necessarily broken before or made it maybe how about upgrade which one do you consider an upgrade i don't know if i could specifically say that one in particular does that um i do think that the approach taken with uh schemes and strats as a whole will softly fix uh crew choices um we are going to see a little bit more aggression a little bit more interaction heavy crews this time around and uh as Matt even said, you know that that was a that was an approach that we we consciously made. Um, uh, aggression is a factor this time around, and we want to highlight that. Uh, and you're going to see that in just about all of them to some extent, um, whether directly or indirectly. I I, yeah. I, I can hear the guild players uh, cheering. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, uh, Craig, you asked the question of like upgrade. Uh, what, yeah. what is a, a scheme that is different than something before? Like we have hidden martyrs, which is kind of like um, uh, what's the old scheme of getting your guys killed? Uh, frame for murder. Yeah, we we have hidden martyrs, which is kind of like frame for murder. But frame for murder was kind of awful to play against because once you yeah. kill that person, it doesn't feel good from your opponent's perspective. And so, making hidden martyrs, we wanted to say like we really liked the concept behind frame for murder and like get your dude killed is a very Malifaux thing. Um, and so taking that and changing it up so that once one of those guys dies, the other one has to get out of Dodge and be <laughs> tankier is saying like, you can't just put it on your two weakest dudes or your two guys that you know are going to get killed. Cause one of them has to live and they both have to be fairly small. Yep. So that, that was one of those that we, looked back at that old frame for murder and we were like, how can we make this fun for both players, but keep that idea of let's go get people killed. Cause it's fun to have, have sacrifices in the middle of the table. Yeah. <laughs> now uh, I might be putting my foot in my mouth here uh, because maybe this was your baby, but Kyle, um, one of the, one of the, uh, I guess one of my least favorite uh, historical scheme or strategies was um, supply wagons. <laughs> Um, but it's another polarizing one. Yeah. And, and again, I like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, giving, giving crap about it. it, it it's going to end up being your favorite thing in the world, what you watch. But, um, <laughs> the one thing I liked about it, you know, I, I've talked about it on the podcast before. The one thing I really liked about it is how much it changed crew building. Um, and it sounds like that that was really turned out to be an overall uh, goal for you guys walking into gaining grounds. One was not just create a strategy or a scheme that's going to impact it, but it sounds like that that was something that you wanted to happen all over the place. Does that sound right? I mean, even beyond gaining grounds, that was a, a conscious approach to third edition. You know, like that's the keyword system in in essence. You know, we want to highlight crew building. We want to hit those themes. We want. Uh, sometimes we want players to choose Molly versus Von Stuck based on the situation. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, we want players to be thinking outside the box. We don't want players to be constantly, uh, putting the same list on the table at the, at the same time, uh, every single time that, that stagnates gameplay and interest, uh, and 
We want players to, to bring in the unique models that are going to highlight certain strats and schemes. Um, so yeah, that, that's, uh, you're going to see that, uh, in just about every major decision that, uh, third, uh, we make in third edition. So out of curiosity, Kyle, the keyword system, going back to that real quick, do you think as a designer, the keyword system makes your job easier or harder? Uh, I would say uh, it, it makes things a little bit easier. Uh, the the mercenary problem isn't nearly uh, as problematic. Um, uh, the the problem does get shifted a little bit with the versatile stuff, um, but um, I, I would say overall it does make it easier. Uh, it, it it allows us to create uh, strengths and weaknesses in a way that wasn't really uh, visibly apparent uh, in in uh, previous crew building. So yeah, no, I, I would, I would, I would say that it makes things easier overall. It makes things more interesting at the very least. Yeah, I uh, bet. Uh, yeah, being able to make Molly feel very different uh, than you know Yan Lo uh, mm-hmm. and, and the sort of things that uh, each player or each character can do. Um, Matt, how about for you? Is there something about the keyword system that you think? Uh, what's the biggest challenge from a design perspective with the keyword system? Um, sometimes like I, I can't necessarily point out a specific, like biggest challenge. Each thing kind of comes with its own hurdles. Um, sometimes it's just designing a new model, putting it in a keyword. It's really easy to say like, Oh, I want to do this, this thing. How does it approach everything else? But sometimes it's just as easy to say like, okay, we have these limitations of say, like we want Molly to deal with like forgotten undead what can we kind of put in that section that makes her feel fun and is a new new concept um but in in general like one of the 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 things that you'll notice with the errata is there's not huge overarching changes to keywords and that is because of how we approached like keyword abilities of saying this exists on everything if we want to change that it now has to change on everything which is sort of this um escalating scale of of how much is being changed so it becomes a little bit hard to adjust whole keywords at a time right. um but that's not still out of the realm of possibility so if we want to do that we we absolutely can um but like this errata right now is focused on individual models so not a lot of keyword abilities were being touched because it's it's a bit harder to adjust those while keeping the the idea of like yep this is this on and on and on yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. So, guys, let's take another break. When we get back from the break, we're going to get into some more controversial topics. I want to talk to you about the FAQ. So we'll be right back. Howdy, friends. Here on the third floor, you'll find us playing Malifaux and other games on Mats by Mars. They are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet-erase marker compatible, and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a design, then choose an overlay like the one for Marvel Crisis Protocol or Malifaux 3rd Edition. It will speed up deployment and the placement of strategy and objective markers. If you're going to Adepticon this year, be sure to check out the Mats by Mars booth. Until the end of March 2020, you can use the new promo code Third Floor 320. That's Third Floor 320 to get a 10% discount on your next order. In the notes, you can ask for the Third Floor logo to be put on your mat for free. Again, use the promo code Third Floor 320 to get a 10% discount. 
Details are in the show notes. So, um, you know, on the list of things that are going to cause a stir, obviously gaining grounds one will cause a stir um, and have a really, I think, uh, the most obvious impact on the game overall. Um, But the things that are going to cause the most noise and probably get a lot of the attention is uh, the FAQ. And then we're going to talk about the errata a little bit later. But let's talk about the FAQ. And I, I don't feel the need, guys, because everybody can read it to, you know, go line by line through it. But I would be curious, Kyle. Um, how do you decide what you're going to put in the first FAQ? Uh, well, you'll see that this one is fairly large. Uh, there are going to be a lot of questions that we felt, uh, that deserved answering. Um, but essentially it, uh, our, our focus was, uh, rehitting the, the stuff that's already in the rule book that could be misconstrued or misunderstood, um, and making sure that people understood the original intent, uh, of the rules as written. Um, and that was mainly the focus. Um, and you know, there's a lot of interactions and timing in the game and, uh, those sorts of questions. And basically we, we went through and looked at all the most commonly asked questions and tried to address as many of those as possible. Um, and how often did you find in the FAQ that you were really making a change? Did you find that everything in the FAQ is more of a clarification to, to clarify what the intention was? Or do you feel like there was some actual decisions changed in the FAQ? I mean, it's a little bit of both. I'd say mostly it's clarification stuff, but uh, sometimes we just have to answer stuff uh, that uh, could be uh, read one way or another. Um, so there's, it's a bit of a blend of both. Matt, what do you think? Um, what, what was the biggest surprise for you? What, what were some questions that came out soon after, you know, third edition started getting played? What, what were some things people were not getting, not understanding that, that maybe surprised you? It's, it's hard to say. I can't think of a specific thing, but there is the general idea of sequential effects and how those work. Um, and the idea is just if if you have the the your models, like the person with initiative does all of their things, the other player does all their things, and then the person with initiative resolves anything else left standing. That actually solves most of the, the issues that people have questions about is just yep. how does it work? Probably sequential effects. Um, it's very important to know how that rule works. And it is pretty open for, for players to do the best possible thing. So like um, recently I saw the question of like, can I use shielded to prevent burning? Yep, absolutely. It's just knowing how that timing um, sequential effects works is very important to why we might not have actually answered something of just saying like, look at this one paragraph. It's very, very important. Well, I can tell you what kind of my perspective on this is. I think that structurally three is much easier to understand than two for new players. I think it's harder for veterans of two because we, we, thought a certain way, the idea of nested actions and things like that. And, it, and I think most of the questions that I see thrown out there are from people with a, what I call a 2E hangover, which is they're, they're allowing how things worked in 2 to in, influence um, how 3 happens. Um, and Kyle, from a design perspective, when you guys went into 3, um, how often does that happen to you as a designer where you, uh, catch yourself realizing, you know, Hey, wait a minute. No, we, we changed that. Uh, that's not how it works anymore. Or are you guys so far deep into three at this point that there's really no, uh, two E hangover from a design perspective? 
Uh, it's less of a second to third edition from uh, a design perspective. It's more, uh, we made this change in this model yesterday. We made uh, a different adjustment today. What is it? Where did we end up landing? Uh, and yeah. uh, that happens on a, on a nearly daily basis for me, especially uh, when we're working on uh, new characters, you know, and uh, balancing and creating new concepts and that sort of stuff. Uh, sometimes I think that, uh, you know, that last exciting, crazy idea ended up sticking around. And uh, then Matt reminds me of, no, that, uh, remember that broken thing that that happened oh right right yeah let's move on yeah i don't know how you keep it in your head um <laughs> I, I really don't uh so but that kind of leads me to another question which is um and let's let's isolate it to the two of you um you guys a lot of times have to agree right so kyle you have an idea matt goes wow what a great idea and matt has an idea and you go kyle kyle says yeah that's great uh, but there's got to be times where Matt has an idea and Kyle, you go, wow, that might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Um, I'd be, I'd be curious and I'd like to hear from both of you. How do you guys work through that as designers where you, you try to figure out and evaluate each other's ideas? Uh, well, me personally, uh, uh, Matt has heard me say it a hundred times over. Um, no idea good or bad is worth shelving without working it through. Um, a lot of great ideas end up coming from bad ideas. So it's important to think about the approach and uh, the attempt that's being made uh, in that sort of design. And um, on the other side of the coin, uh, you know, you also have to be very comfortable with killing your darlings. The, uh, the thing that you really love, that you really want to put in, sometimes it's okay to, you know, throw it away or uh, shelve it and use it for something else uh, for when it's uh, really important. Um, those sorts of conversations happen on a daily basis, uh, but luckily Matt and I uh, have found a system where we can work out the good and bad. Uh, it, it's a really collaborative room, uh, and uh, we try to make sure that those, uh, those ideas, both good and bad, end up being explored. So Matt, out of curiosity, how would you describe that system Kyle's talking about to, to somebody who's outside of the room? Um, well, I, I can't lie and say that there's sometimes there is yelling occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Um, uh, so it does help that there, we have another designer, Matt, we can always kind of turn to him and be like, all right, talk us through. What are your opinions? And sometimes he will side with one of us and then we kind of move on. Um, it also helps a lot. Uh, generally Kyle and I find that if we're disagreeing on something, um, to just, uh, take in what we each other are saying and then step away for a couple minutes and think about it by yourself. Cause oftentimes I'll find that if we're disagreeing about how something works and Kyle will throw an idea my way and I, I don't necessarily like it, or we both have an idea stepping away and thinking about it, uh, 10 minutes later, not necessarily in the heat of like whatever we're talking about and, uh, kind of melding the two ideas. That's always going to be the best thing that comes out. It's, it's rarely ever that an idea is exactly what one of us wanted to do. So like earlier we talked about corrupted ley lines, like it was, it was not quiet in our office that day. Um, <laughs> it involved a lot of us going into our playtest room and physically placing markers on the table to try to explain it to each other. And then eventually the next day we both kind of were just like, Oh, it should probably work this way. Because we both had thought about it, we both kind of came to this this these conclusions, and then we took that idea that ne didn't necessarily work as a strategy and made it that scheme runic binding, and that played out in its own way by not having it be forced over every single turn. 
And so always kind of melding ideas and just taking a minute to, to think about it internally without saying anything can be very, very helpful. And also a third person. Yeah. So Kyle, out of curiosity, I think one of the challenges that um, I have as a player, and uh, I think that we see this demonstrated a lot of times on the forums and in Weird Place, is uh, what I call a, a sampling error. So um, for example, and the example I'll give you is the first time I went up against the Pigapult. First time I went up against the Pigapult, I thought it was the most broken, dumbest thing I'd ever seen in Malifaux. Then I went home and thought about it a little bit more and went, oh, you know what? There's a lot I could have done. Uh, there's there's ways around this, and it seemed impenetrable to me. But um, And you'll see that in posts on the forums and in Weird Place sometimes where people will say, this is the dumbest thing ever. And it's because they, they saw it once with a bad combination. It was a bad matchup, and they went through it. What I'd be curious to know is how do you battle that as a designer where you don't allow one play test game to to f- put you in a position? I mean, h- how do you get through that? Uh, that is a question that uh, we try to address on a daily basis. Uh, it Sometimes it is the case where that one play test ends up uh, shaping a decision. Uh, more often than not, though, we, we do need to look at a large sample. Um, yeah. We need to consciously be aware of the strengths and weaknesses of a given model, like in the Pigapult, for example. Um, uh, but we want to make sure that characters feel powerful on the table. Yep. Um, but on the, hind- uh, on the other side of that coin, though, we do uh, want to make sure that there are weaknesses. Um, in some cases, there there, there are going to be oversights on our part, and that's why we do playtests instead of just dumping out uh, all these ideas out into final form right off the right off the bat. Um, that's we we do lean on our playtesters quite a bit. We uh, appreciate them to the point where we ourselves cannot express it. Um, there are so many characters in our game. There are so many variables, and uh, it doesn't matter how many games we play internally. Um, we need to. You need to see it all uh, as often as possible. So, well, and I'll t- and I'm going to throw something out for the audience too, because a, a phrase that I hear often that kind of sets me off a little bit um, is, uh, you know, how did this make make it out of play test? Uh, people will say, and the reason that triggers me is because I I work in uh, development, and you know, people will go, you know, well, how did how did QA let that happen? And what people don't understand is that, um, you know. There's things that you discover after two playtests internal, right? And then there's things you'll discover after a hundred playtesters play a hundred games. And then there's things that you're going to find after 10,000 games. Um, but you wouldn't have found that in the first thousand. And uh, I think it's something for people that are listening to keep in mind is that, um, you know, what we love about Malifaux is how intricate it is and how there's so many ways to uh, enjoy and win at this game that, you know, part of it is, is that there's going to be stuff that sneaks out that, that we have to work through. And then the second part of that is, is, you know, think about it before you decide, you know, just how busted things are. So guys, let's take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I do want to talk about the errata, um, which really kind of ties in uh, to what we uh, were just talking about. So let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alexander Zdenchuk from Riga, Latvia, and I'm a patron of Third Floor Wars. Those guys open the beauty of Malifo 3rd Edition to me and continue to provide tons of great content. You can support them too. Follow the links in the show notes below or search for Third Floor Wars at patreon.com. 
So how much are three or four of these episodes worth to you a month? Third Floor Wars has a Patreon, and if you think they're worth a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars a month, swing by and become a patron. We have polls to decide the next episode of the pod, along with early releases of articles and podcasts. Everything we release goes out to everyone, but sometimes our patrons get a head start. The link is in the show notes, or just search for Third Floor Wars on Patreon.com. Thanks for the support. Wow, did we get an influx of patrons. Uh, I want to give a special thanks to Florian, Carl Lee, Jeff Mansker, Nathan Linder, Maximilian, Verse, Carlton Oldham, Roman Heckenberger, Asked Your Cry, Tomas, Anthony Dudden, Klaas, Jonathan Clark, Paul Mason, Atticus Porter, Michael Pace, Rufus, Zach Rogan, Ola Sten, and Joss Gadja. Thanks so much. So really kind of the next piece to talk about is the errata, which um, is is something that is always going to happen in a game. Um, and it really kind of ties to in what we talked about before the break. Um, and, and again, we're not going to go through every single one of uh, the erratas that are in there and the changes. But um, Matt, I'd like to get an idea again, as we've been talking about, what was the overall uh kind of philosophy going into, into this first errata? What did you guys dis- set yourself as goals? Um, so primarily, when we look at uh, this, when we looked at this errata, it was what are things that are awful to play against? Not necessarily to, like broken or very powerful, but are just not fun to play against because we we find that like if you're playing, you're gonna have fun if you're doing well. If you're losing, anything can make that game really unfun. And so trying to adjust things that are just awful to interact yeah. with that was that was a, a primary goal one of the other primary goals is if something is showing up all the time and it's not necessarily versatile and even versatile models that are showing up all the time that is not a good thing because you want mm-hmm. to be able to say like and uh, you want to see different things throughout each game and and each faction has a plethora of different things they can take and making sure that one thing doesn't outshine the others, even if it's versatile. So like the first thing that we kind of uh, adjust, uh, like even an Arcanist, like Soulstone Miners, they got adjusted. Like they're versatile. They show up in every list, but people didn't enjoy playing against them. However much you enjoyed playing as them, they're fine. Like, I don't think they're like super fun to play as, um, but it was awful to just be like, cool, he's just going to sit underground, pop up, and score points. Yeah. And that was changed in a plethora way of, like, gaining rounds one, it's not as easy to just show up and score points um, in strategies and schemes in general. But it's also saying, like, what can we take from this model that isn't necessarily removing how it works, but making it um, not as much as, like, a cherry on top? where some things are like, this doesn't need this thing to be super amazing at what it's doing. It always kind of felt extra. Yep. Um, and that, that was a, a primary goal of making things feel as best as possible. And then there's always the, we need to buff some things so that they, they see play, especially if they're um, new and exciting, like order initiates, they, they got a uh, cost reduced so that Marcus can have a bit more fun with them. And they're, they're brand new and we want people to experience them. So I'm a, I was a huge fan of that because I I think of all the new sculpts I've seen those three models are, are three of my favorites. Oh yeah, um, Bird Lady is amazing. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, and the Rhino guy. I just I mean, 
it um I'm gonna deny it that I like any Arcanist model, but uh those are good sculpts. Those are good sculpts. Craig, we know that you're an Arcanist fanboy deep inside. <laughs> you wanna you wanna hear like a dirty secret? I just picked up a Colette commission. That's uh. <laughs> you wanna talk about how good that box is? It's so good that even I was willing to paint it. Uh and, and, and I picked up the commission for the main reason of the fact that I knew I would never buy. That box, but I still wanted yeah, to paint new, it. New Colette is is really oh, really nice. God, you, uh, really, I'm, really. I'm good only work. slightly sad that I personally own like Mr. Cooper, and I was like, I'll never need to buy that Colette, but yeah. I still want it. <laughs> well, that Cooper crew is the actually I own the Cooper crew. I love that crew. Cooper's um, great. yeah, very good. So, Kyle, um, let's let's start a little bit with um some of the uh, erratas that you put into the core book. Um, I, I'd I'd be curious to know what you think were some really some significant things that really affected the core rules. Uh, well, uh, a big yet small. Uh, I mean, it, it looks like a big change, but really, it's just a cleanup or the replace changes. Uh, it's essentially just a cleanup, but we did have to. Uh, uh, rewrite the section in a way um but it it all we were trying to do is address some of the outliers and now it works as intended um that, that's uh one of the big ones uh as far as the core rules uh, are concerned uh, we just wanted to make sure that um as matt just said you know the uh the experience is fun for both players and it makes sense uh and uh players weren't getting into rules disputes instead of actually experiencing the game yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. And um, uh, another one that I happened to notice, too, was the uh, actions generated by charge. I think the clarification there was key. Yeah, just saying that, like, if if charge is a trigger that you get, and so, like, Marcus generating his charge, it's still an action generated by a trigger. And we didn't want to say, the, like, oh, here's this one super specific exception. Um, and that was really, like, uh, a core fundamental of just being like, yeah, some of these things are obnoxious to play against when you're just like, Oh, here's this model that's attacking you and then generating a charge, which attacks you. And that generates an attack. You're like, cool. That was one action. It was just, just too much. Um, and so saying like, yeah, we're going to pull that back and make sure that like, this is a bit more clarified. Even if we have to say that like, yep, that, that being generated by a trigger carries to an extent of just saying, it's all subsequent actions generated by that trigger. Um, was really important to just making it feel better and not that really minute case that's awful. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, Kyle, is there a certain thing that people are going to see in the Rada that you consider yourself a champion of? Um, is there something that you thought really needed attention and, and people are going to see that in the Arata? Uh Well, I mean, a little bit of everything is a collaboration in the office. Uh, there I wouldn't say that there's anything specifically that I championed. Uh, I did want to make sure that we touched uh, Dashiell's summoning, uh, and Matt had a really smart approach about that. Um, now, uh, you know, Dashiell was having a little bit of difficulty getting the job done comparatively to other summoners, uh, but we still liked how he was doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we made it a little bit easier for guards. Uh, we do um, uh, see totems as an extension of masters, and just sometimes it's better to make an adjustment on them than on the master itself. And uh, I think Matt's approach to it uh, worked out really well for that. Yeah, I think that was a problem, and I really, really like the approach to the fix. Matt, in Bayou, is there anything that um, you think uh, definitely needed attention and got it? Uh, 12 cups of coffee. Yeah. Oh, God uh, bless you. Yeah. Um, this was primarily like uh, what is diversion and marked territory. Those are 
good. Those are very powerful um, in our minds. Twitchy was in a place that it was very good for no reason and took forever to play yep. and was just like, why are you moving so much? And also, how does this make sense with what Twitchy, like, how does, how does Twitchy make sense with what's actually happening? And so adjusting it to saying like, yeah, when someone gets near you, you freak out a bit and back up. That is, it, it's way more reasonable because now it's it's way more of a defensive ability instead of just being like, turn one, I'm 17 inches up the board with almost nothing cost or however far. Um, it, it lets it act more as uh, what's intended and not be awful to play against and take five minutes of here's a one inch push. Yeah, that's that's a big thing about uh, the change to Twitchy is uh, the whole concept uh, slowed the whole game down. Uh, yeah, you know those constant tiny interactions that uh, it wasn't worth what it was actually accomplishing. Uh, and yep. I think we we had a sweet spot with that one as well. I agree, uh, Kyle. I was curious to know about uh, the change to Bayou Smuggler. Um, that's a model that I wasn't hearing a whole lot about, but, um, you definitely made some changes to it. Can you, why buy you smuggler and why those changes? Uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. You weren't hearing anything about them. Um, yeah. and we, uh, just like you like the order initiates, we love the, the Bayou smuggler models. Uh, you know, yep. uh, a guy with an alligator on his back is just, I want to see that on the table. Um, and we weren't seeing it, uh, in the bayou. We weren't seeing it in, uh, Parker lists and we wanted to make sure that we adjusted it. Uh, so, um, that one got a little bit of love. We want to see it on the table. And, uh, I think we hit a good spot with that one too. I agree. And the, uh, the character in those sculpts again are, are, are fantastic. Matt, how about guild? What, uh, what got attention in guild and why? Uh, so yeah, we already talked about the dispatcher. Uh, yep. Agent 46 is something that like, uh, I, I, everyone kind of thinks about it, but guild could, could use some love and giving a nerf to guild is never, is not something that I liked doing, but yeah. the agent 46 was, uh, unfortunate in how he was kind of working for and against the guild of saying like, I can mimic anything and you can't cheat. It was really hard to make things work in guild properly. Uh, and it was, it was one of those things that like, while he's super good and uh, guild love needing their help, like I, we think guild are amazing. Um, but it, it is something that, that we definitely felt like we needed to touch because of how unfun it was to play against. And also it warped what we could really do with the rest of guild. And so just yeah. saying like, you can do this or you can do your mimic one or the other. It made it a, a more of a choice and let him yeah. play his role properly of like, I'm going to be my assassin self, or I'm just going to take whatever you are. And that person is not necessarily the assassin. Yeah, I, I agree. And I got to tell you, I've talked to some of the, the dedicated guild players and a, a term that was being used was the, uh, the, uh, Agent 46 tax, which is in some ways they felt that the way Agent 46 worked out of the gate was hurting the faction because it limited what you guys could allow and what you could, changes you could make. Um, so I think in the long run, even though technically you're right, it's a nerf of 46, I think it's going to potentially free up guild, um, a lot more. Um, how about Pale Rider, Kyle? What happened there? Uh, so first we looked at writers as a whole um, and uh, wondered if uh, they were creating kind of a black hole. Uh, but really, we ended up focusing on Pale Rider uh, and uh, seeing it in 
uh, as Matt already kind of touched upon, uh, models in every list. Um, and uh, sometimes uh, guild players were putting, you know, Pale Rider on the table before they were choosing their master, and we don't, we don't want that. Um, uh, I don't think that uh, the uh, approach is too heavy. Uh, we're still going to see Pale Rider on the table, um, but now again, uh, it's it's a choice, uh, and I, I think that's going to be uh, a major aspect that we want to hit with versatile models as a whole. Well, and, and I tell you, we could say it on every one of these things um, where things got a little bit of attention is, um, you know, it was also creating a, a really sucky experience as the opponent. Um, so I think that um, it, this will will not only, you know, allow other models to come in outside of the uh, of the uh, Pale Rider, but I, it also makes the Pale Rider uh, not just awful to play against. Um, right. So I, I really was very, uh, I thought it was very even handed. Um, and again, I think ultimately would be better for the faction. Um, the other one that I just want to quickly point out, Matt is no prisoners. Um, can you kind of walk us through what happened there? Yeah. So uh, no prisoners originally, when we put it out, it was adding like a grenade action and um, these other things we didn't feel like it was really promoting what we wanted in guild or really adding that much to the faction. It, like, it was being seen sometimes, but like, Leadline Coat is very good just giving that yep. straight armor. Um, but it what really wasn't there, and we wanted to give uh, Guild the way to have a bit more freedom in how they're moving around the table. Guild is not exceptionally fast, and so giving them something that's saying, like, I'm going to ignore blast damage and hazardous, and being able to walk around is very, very helpful of just being yep. like, I can put this on, on my guys and not have to worry about them dying to just Karis all the time or dying to <laughs> all the, all these other things. And then also the, um, the new ability that we put on there. What is it? Get a man. Uh, what's the name of the ability? Catch them. That's what it mm-hmm. is. That just giving guild the ability to say like, we're primarily a gun faction. We do have some strong beaters and getting them into place is going to help us even more. And it also, because it's that place effect, it lets them equally get over those those hazardous terrain or, and all those walls that you really need to get over for. So if you're playing as uh, like marshals and you bring Lady Justice, you can make sure she gets in and just swings her greatsword with her out uh, without the charge to, to do the much in, as much impact as possible. Yeah, and I and I got to tell you that um, it's going to take a little while, I think, for everybody to digest um, what we saw happen uh, in the Serata because there's a, it's multi layered. The more I've read it, the more I've digested it, the more I realize um, uh, it's it's not as obvious what you guys were doing, um, and it'll be very interesting to see how it shakes out and how much how the uh, initial hot takes will be different from where everybody settles. Kyle, let's talk about Neverborn. Um, there's one model in particular in Neverborn that got some attention. Uh, no, Stitch Together was perfectly fine. Uh, we didn't think that uh, it was causing any problems. <laughs> Nobody's talked about it on a podcast or anything. <laughs> right, right. Uh, no, we, we all, all I'll really say is that we touched Stitch Together to make sure that uh, – Again, we uh, we're hitting into negative player experience territory. Yeah, uh, and uh, now it's still a worthwhile model of putting on the table, but you're not going to auto quit on the other side of the table when you see uh, a few on the table either. So, 
and I got to tell you, the, the light touch in general, um, I was really happy to see from you guys on this first errata. Um, I don't feel like you nerfed any, anything into the ground. Um, now, everybody's going to say you did. That's going to be the initial hot takes on some of the stuff. But um, I think as it plays out, um, people will, uh, will I think, agree that that, that didn't happen. Um, Matt, I saw Inhuman Reflexes got some attention. Yeah. So Inhuman Reflexes, like Butterfly Jump is really good. And we didn't want to just adjust butterfly jump across the board because, like I said, that's adjusting a lot of models. And we didn't need, feel like it was super necessary for what Inhuman Reflexes was doing. But we did want that movement, especially being able to get in and out of combat. But um, with how it is right now, giving your opponent more of the choice, like Neverborn are very aggressive. So your opponent can essentially say, I'm going to keep you in combat or I'm going to keep myself alive. Yep. Gives the Neverborn player uh, the an equal amount of, like, being able to play and and properly feel good about themselves but it, it having a choice is always going to make you feel a little bit better because you can always think well had i done it slightly differently would it have been better and it's not as negative of an experience so that was that was the, the primary thought process i i do want to touch on stitch together for a second and that i remember <laughs> my my first official tournament in m3e was a henchman hardcore tournament and I was playing my Outcast, and I fought against Hinamatsu and three Stitch together. And that was the oh, worst God. fucking game I've ever played. <laughs> that I got terrible. I got so obnoxiously trounced, and I was like, I could have done <sighs> nothing better. Right. Well, uh, and that's the big thing, Matt, is that it, it, I don't, I'm really good at getting trounced, right? I, I've made a career out of it. But what I don't like is getting trounced and two days later still thinking, you know what? There's nothing I could have done. You know, I, I don't mind getting trounced and, you know, on the drive home going, wow, I could have played that better. That would have changed. You know, this is a bad choice that I made here and stuff like that. But I think with Stitched Together, it just it was just too often you were like, well, I, I, I like sometimes it felt like Stitched Together is you weren't even playing. That it was just the Dreamer player, whoever brought the, the Stitch, that they were playing their own little mini game, putting cards away and putting cards back. And, you know, you you were there as a prop uh, in order for the Stitch Together to do its thing. Um, so I think I think I like like the decisions and, and there. some of that is still core to how stitch together worked it is fun to do that as stitch together and yeah. that player it's not fun when you're just like cool my opponent can't do anything about it at least now you can like cheat and defend yourself and that kind of exactly thing. and those flips are like they suffer from accuracy um now which is a huge change of like i'm not necessarily just going to be hit for five points of damage because that was the top card of the, the deck or whatever granted you can still cheat, but if if the stitch together fails, you can probably equally cheat, provided yep. you don't. You're not on that negative yourself if you only barely won. So it, it's just making him more fun to play against in every way. And I know that's a lot about stitch together, but it's a big change. And it, it was a it is a big change. It is a big change. And I, and to to the point that both you and Kyle made, I, it's not going to stop that model from seeing the table, which makes me happy too. As much as I hate that effing model, um, <laughs> I did not want to be in a situation where it was gone forever. Um, uh, now, speaking of hating mo models, um, Kyle, talk to me about Rusty Alice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this one, uh, I think the community is, uh, the gut reaction is going to be that this is too big of a nerf on paper, but the reasoning behind it makes a lot of sense. It's a, a necessary change. And all we did was adjust her movement, um, disengaging to potentially deal six damage. No way to stop it was a bit much. She's yep. still super powerful, but now players will have ways of dealing with her. 
Yeah. It, now, it, it, it lets engaging her actually stop her from playing. Right. But potentially, she can still get it. But. And that was the issue, guys. And I was like super proud of you. <laughs> super proud of you. Yeah, uh, I would love because... to just be like, she's stat two minimum on her gun and has no rapid fire. Just nerf her to the ground. But <laughs> I don't play her. So whatever. <laughs> no, it, it, was, it was the disengage problem, right? Because if you've got somebody who is that good of a ranged threat, if you don't have a way to say, look, I need I, to deal with Rusty, you need to engage her. Well, that didn't mean anything before, and now it does. Um, so I'm glad. How about, um, uh, Kyle, what, what happened with Benny? Uh, so, yeah, we've been talking about a lot of nerfs, but Benny got some love. Uh, yeah. So we wanted to throw a bone to Hamlin players. Uh, maybe this time it's a, you know, a plague-infested one, but uh, – uh, and we also wanted to make sure that he was uh, fitting into bandit crews every once in a while too. Uh, uh, so now he's going to be doing a little bit more on the table. He's going to f- he he fills a role finally. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy with where we landed on Benny as a whole. Yeah, I think Benny now is a little bit more aligned to the changes that Hamlin made from two to three, right? Um, which I think was, um, which was, which was quite frankly needed, um, because he just didn't seem to fit anymore. Um, and, uh, yet another cool sculpt and a, a thematic model that, um, I'm really hoping will, um, uh, now see the table more. So Kyle, another, um, I thought interesting change was that within family, there was a model that, um, got some attention. Yeah. So earlier you had talked about, uh, dead schemes. Uh, and one thing we definitely don't want are dead models, particularly dead totems. And that was uh, a phrase that was tossed around fairly often with the enslaved Nephilim. Um, and, uh, that was one thing that, uh, I really did not love seeing. Um, we know that Perdita's crew is a little bit card hungry. So now the enslaved Nephilim has nefarious pact. It was in theme, uh, mm-hmm. for it. Uh, and it also just is, uh, kind of a, a soft buff uh, and uh, the crew will feel uh, a, a fairly significant impact from that. I feel. Well, and I love the fact that really, I, you know, family and guard as keywords got, got some nice love just by making some small changes to the totems. And I, and I love that again, that approach um, I think was a great one. Guys, we're going to take one last break. We're going to talk about probably the two factions that get uh, yapped about the most, um, uh, or at least uh, some of the models that do. So let's talk about Resurrectionists and Ten Thunders when we get back from the break. Howdy, folks. Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. So let's talk about uh, two more factions, um, and then I want to uh, stop talking about t- uh, yesterday and today and start talking about tomorrow. But uh, we do need to talk about uh, what happened in Rezzers. Um So, Matt, uh, who got attention in Rezzers? So, yeah, the, the first um, big thing that we want to address was Archie. He's a big boy. We love Archie, and he's got a nice new hat, but that hat sometimes just showed up too much. Um, and so we really wanted to make sure that he had a primary role that wasn't I'm going to kill everything and also be everywhere and make Molly just scheme all the time because all the cruelligans jump to me, all these things. And so giving him a bit more um, 
reliance on his um, uh, attacking and like adding rush to him, but reducing his move means he's actually a little bit faster when you're moving less on your turns. But if he is just moving, uh, if he's just walking like normal, he can equally get the the distance. Um, but his primary um, changes were, were just to make him feel like he is a beater, but he's not perfect. Archie is not is not all about like murdering children. He's a, he's a he's a gentle giant in a way. Um, he's he's granted like he's like Frankenstein's monster. He doesn't want to murder everything. And ruthless felt really weird on his card because of that. Yeah. And so the idea of saying that like yeah, sometimes Archie being the resurrection or being the undead creature that gets scared is weirdly makes sense the most to us and it gives him a distinct role in the faction of just being like i can't deal with everything (laughs) granted he has his new action um what mournful Mournful memories memories, that helps just a little bit so he can kind of always get that extra thing but that's helpful in all situations especially when he when he's not trying to leap um it just gives him more of this like he's primarily fighting people but he does have a weakness granted resurrectionists can just slap ruthless on him just uh with one of their upgrades but if, so if you super need that, you still absolutely can. Yep. But and you and you can pay for it. Yeah, you can pay for it. And yep. right now it was primarily about it making him feel like what his cost says he should feel like, and saying he's going to kill things for Molly. He's not necessarily going to be killing things for everyone because his his resources are a bit more intensive. Yeah, and and I like that because he's in a he's in a keyword that um, can can handle a little bit more card intensity um uh you know molly molly can has ways to mitigate you know card hungry models um i have not played uh this version of archie yet but i got it um as somebody who loves archie um i did not see it nerfed to the table now my opinion might change when i get my ass handed to me when i'm playing molly but um (laughs) archie's not going to do the same thing as he was before yeah yeah. you do have to play him with a bit more finesse Um, he's not just going to be leaping into combat and punching you three times Right. So. And then being healed up six, you know, six points and then, you know, rinse and repeat. Leaping to a um, scheme later. Yeah. 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 It, um, so, Kyle, I've got uh, what I think had to have been one of the tougher ones is um, wh- what did you guys do in 10 Thunders? Uh, we just left them. We're, uh, they're, they're perfectly fine. We didn't see any feedback on them at all. None at all. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so Ten Thunders clearly got some attention. Uh, we we did touch uh, a fair amount of models. Um, we didn't go severely though. Uh, you know, Monaco Ray got touched a little bit. Yasunori got touched. Um, but. Uh, essentially, the, the approach is, uh, again, uh, the mantra of negative play experiences and making sure that those sort of things were mitigated. Um, we want Yasunori still on the table, but we don't want to see it 100% of the time. Um, yep. Um, and, uh, you know, the, some things were breaking in areas that we, you know, maybe didn't really consider, like Chiaki. Um, Split the Soul was uh, very, very good. We we are okay with power, but we do want power to be controlled. Um, so uh, you'll see that adjustment there. Um, that doesn't mean that Yan Lo is suddenly uh, not a, a master worth putting on the table uh, by any means. Um, you're still going to see plenty of Yan Lo. It's just now that uh, players can actually deal with it. 
No, I, I completely agree. And I think actually the Chiaki change was nice because it's, it, it, it promotes the keyword system even more. Right. Um, which is something that I, that I am totally okay with. Um, so before we kind of transition into talking about, uh, some, maybe some things coming up, the one thing that I know everybody listening is asking is, um, okay, great. You made changes to X number of models. How do I get the cards? Um, so when do we, when can we see these cards available? Uh, right. So uh, what we're going to be doing is releasing uh, a Gaining Grounds slash Errata pack. Um, uh, it's going to be a one print only sort of thing. Um, so do make sure to get your hands on it. Um, and the reason behind it is because Gaining Grounds is a seasonal thing. Um, it will uh, not be forever around. Um, but I mean, worst case scenario, if you can't get your hands on it, that's okay. It's going to be on drive through. It's going to be on our app. Um, once we go live with, uh, errata and, uh, gaining grounds, uh, it'll just be, uh, you know, a handful of days before it, it hits the crew builder. Um, so, uh, yeah, those are the, the main three ways that you'll be able to get a hold of this. That's great. That's great. Um, so Matt, Talk to me about tomorrow. What are some things that we can talk about um, uh, that uh, maybe people don't know about yet? Um, well, there's this one thing that we've been working on, but I don't know if anyone really knows about it. Um, some might say it's like an eighth faction, but I don't know. Right now it's like two <laughs> masters. Um, but yeah, uh, to get to the point, we're working on Explore Society. Um, we're super excited about it. Um there's a lot of stuff coming. We've shown off some of it. Um, we've shown the off. The art looks great. Yeah. We've shown off a bit of Cooper. We've shown off uh, some of his Apex models. We've shown off uh, the Brock Inspector and a yep. little bit of uh, that keyword with the Deva. And we're super excited for for all of these things to come out and talk about them. Uh, I bet, Kyle, um, it's hard. It's got to be hard as a designer to figure out what the, a new faction is going to do, feel, and look like. Um, and, and I don't expect you to, you know, tell us that about explorers, but I would be curious to know, you know, what is, what do you do when you say, okay, we're, we need a new faction or we're going to add a faction? Wh- wh- what does that process even look like at a high level? Well, it's, it's different for designing the Explorer Society than, say, designing the Bayou, for example. Uh, the Bayou is very environmentally based, uh, location based, and uh, gremlin based. Uh, the Explorer Society is very different. Uh, they've been a part of our world since first edition. Um, so if you dig enough into our lore, you'll find that Lord Justin Cooper has existed this whole time. Um, what I will say uh, about the Explorer Society is, uh, I guess starting off, I love the speculation threads on the forums <laughs> in a weird place. I get a real kick out of the stuff. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, this faction is really going to surprise you. Uh, the, the characters in it are diverse mechanically and thematically. Uh, like I just said, some, uh, some have been a part of our lore since first edition. Some have been in Chronicle stories. Uh, some have been hinted at in third edition stories. Others are brand new. They're going to, uh, be like a brick to the face and surprise. Uh, you, you will not expect them. Um, even the stuff that we've revealed, uh, there's, loads of surprises the deva and brock inspectors they they might seem one way but you know there's <laughs> uh, there's there's more behind that story um yeah uh, justin cooper even uh you know like he was a part of uh first edition content um uh but it's been a long time since he's been walking around uh there's 
a lot of things that can happen in Malifaux in between that time. Uh, a lot of new things for him to hunt. Um, but uh, essentially, I mean, we could, I guess we could dip a little bit into his mechanics is that uh, if you didn't already get the hint from the contract that you signed, uh, <laughs> he will very much feel like he is hunting you down. Um, nice. And we're going to, uh, his crew as a whole is going to cover uh, the safari hunting uh, classic stuff that you might uh, be aware with with the uh, Explorer Society as a whole. Yeah, and, and the the sculpt screamed that, which right. is which is really really exciting. Um, and Matt, um, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, and you may not be able to answer this, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Um, are we going to see uh, Explorer Society trickle out, or is there going to be a ta-da? Here's the Explorer Society. Uh, I, you're right. I cannot answer my question. Okay. <laughs> um, but I will say, Cooper, uh, we're really excited about him. We hope that uh, with everything else that we talked about today, thematically and how keywords work, um, Cooper has some exciting stuff. Um, you should feel like when you're playing him, like you're on the hunt. And when you're playing against him, like you're being hunted. That's awesome. You're going to see a lot of cool things coming out of him and all the rest of Explore Society. Kyle mentioned earlier, but if you think you know what you're going to see, you're you're dead wrong. These, <laughs> these guys, they are not the the stereotype that you necessarily think there are. There's there's secrets and things hidden within the Explore Society that we're really really excited to show in the future. Wow, that, 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 that's even fluffy sounding. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, I've been super excited since you guys reached out and, um, I am really anxious to, to, to play, um, these changes and to play these new schemes and strategies and, and get a feel for, um, really the impact on the game. And, um, I've said it a few times, uh, listeners, um, make sure you give it some time. Um, you know, remember what it was like playing your first third edition game versus uh, the games you've been playing now and how your thoughts have uh, changed on it. Um, Kyle, I hope to have you on again. Matt, we're good. I think uh, two, <laughs> yeah, yeah. two episodes is good. probably enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm going to talk you both into coming on again. Um, any, any kind of shout outs or um, uh, plugs that we want to get out there? Uh, a shout out to Matt in the office, uh, the uh, our other designer for uh, being the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, before we started recording, uh, Kyle, you and I already talked about getting Matt on the show for a very specific reason. So uh, I'm really anxious to get Matt on the show. Uh, Craig, I want to give a shout out to you at Third Full Wars and all the other podcasts. You guys are all amazing. I listen to them. We listen to yeah, them all the time. Yeah, we listen to you guys. So we, oh, we thank hear you. you. The good it's, and bad. We hear it all. Super <laughs> exciting to see uh, you guys as a community. And we're we're really happy with everything you guys are doing. And uh, I'm glad. honestly, it, it means a lot to us. And it helps us out, uh, helps, helps us out more than you would know. So. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, you know, obviously Kyle and Schemes and Stones is great and Doug's, um, Scoundrels. I'm a huge fan of. We're starting to see some new, um, podcasts, um, coming out. Um, I've got, a, I've had a couple people reach out to me for advice, uh, on starting a Malifaux podcast. And my advice has been start recording, get it out there. Um, yeah, if, and, if, uh, if I, I will say if you put out a podcast with one episode, I'll probably still listen to that episode. Yeah, it, it's um, part of what makes the community grow is 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 content, and um, you know it's YouTube channels, it's things like that. I was glad to see TNG um, start doing some Malifaux, and we're starting to see Malifaux coming out of uh, Ash and Gorilla uh, yeah. Miniatures and yeah. stuff, and 
that uh, those are all very good signs um, about the growth of this game. And uh, I know my listeners are passionate about the game. And, uh, you know, having it grow and seeing that start to happen is great. Um, well, guys, um, we will talk soon. Um, make sure you put on your uh, your shields and your helmets and things like that when all of this drops. <laughs> um, I haven't taken it off since the release. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And for those of you that stuck around to the end, I appreciate you listening. Take care. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. All right. I'll bring us back from the break. Small change on uh, on what? Uh, the dispatcher. Eight things changed on this card. <laughs> well, you know what I meant. <laughs> All right. All right. I want you to everyone know that I was getting mauled by a cat during that conversation. <laughs> Now so brave. <laughs> um, I'm a little worried that guild players are going to sound because uh, we didn't talk about uh, uh, enslaved Nephilim or uh, frontiersmen, um, and those are significant buffs. Uh, so well, let, we they're not huge, those. but well, they they are helpful. They're just right. We're going to see yeah. Bass on the table now. We're going to see Perdita on the table now. Um, well, here, Kyle, I'm, I'm going to set you up, Kyle. Um, and then I'll edit it in. Okay. Well, sure. I, I was just going to say, if we wanted to talk about Frontiersmen later, like we'll talk about the Explorer Society. We could also oh, bring yeah. them up there. Sure. Um, or we okay, can just talk about uh, it now. Well, let's talk. Let, let me tee up the, the enslaved Nephilim. Cause I think that's, I think that's one worth calling out Kyle. So I'll, 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 I'll lead you in and then um, we'll talk about it and then we'll uh, come back to talk about Rezzers. Okay. Sure. All right. This is the part where I'm going to keep my mouth shut the most. Kyle, I hope you're okay with me just being like, yeah, we yell at each other. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does happen, but I mean, uh, so every every time that does happen, it is infrequent. Um, it, it's not really actually yelling. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're both passionate about ideas. Um, and I, I would think. It, just just like Matt said, you know, uh, sometimes it takes uh, sleeping on it, you know, and, and really thinking about the stuff and thinking about uh, the approach the other person had and that sort of stuff. Uh, so uh, I'll tell you right now, if you'd not said that, people would think you guys were sugarcoating it. Everybody knows that you, that you have to have those times <laughs> where you guys are going like that or uh, you're just not telling the whole story. That corruptly um, lads conversation. Not a great day at the office. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> That's really funny. All right. Uh, I'll bring us back. All right. Good segment, guys. 
Greg, I, I, I just laughed because you asked Kyle that question. I was like, I don't know if he's trying to get us to talk about Hidden Martyrs with this question, but I will if Kyle doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, to be honest with you guys, I thought this was going to be a lot harder than it is, um, you know, because I, I, you know, part of me wants to point you in the right direction, but a big part of me doesn't. Um, uh, but, you know, at the same time, you know, it, it, part of my job is to help <laughs> give you guys things to talk about. So. There are things we want to talk about. We'll <laughs> yeah. make sure we hit them. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Well, I we're, hope so. Kyle, might. We'll, we're figuring it out. <laughs> and so, um, pushing the idea of the killing, uh, like bigger things, is important. And so, if if we want to um, have. Uh, Fuck, what was I talking about? <laughs> I just completely <laughs> lost my brain. Yep. <laughs> Public Enemies is about killing things. <laughs> Smartly. <laughs> so, here, let's, let's, uh, I'm going to give you a place to start from. Um, Kyle, do you want to talk about Public Enemies? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do we do we need like an intro question? Or? No, you, you just get started, Kyle, and I'll make I'll make it sound so good. And what I added to this. Uh, <laughs> well done, guys. Except my fucking yeah, what web happened webcam. to your uh, webcam? <laughs> my webcam's like Jesus Christ! Blurry. You are an ugly son of a bitch. I can't <laughs> look at you in focus. I'm going to take just a second. I will um, say I enjoyed. Hey, Matt, talk about the easy strategy of kill things. Just <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I don't know, man, if you ever listened to the very, very end of the episodes, but I, I put out yeah. outtakes in there. You, you don't know how many times you just completely lose track of what the hell you're talking about. It's just so easy to do. Um, and it's uh, I'm trying to get better as a host at you know, getting people to forget they're on a podcast. Um, because I think that's what it is, is you're so self-conscious about what you're saying that you just kind of lose track of shit. You get too far ahead of yourself. Yeah. Your and, and, and specifically for public enemies, I was just like, okay, I want to talk about this one thing. How do I get from point A to point B? Yeah. Just could not find it. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. So, all right. Um, so Kyle, we'll probably launch with you. Um, Let's talk, uh, we'll talk big at first, um, kind of what we have here. Um, so kind of what was the thinking before you created any new schemes or changed any schemes? What was everybody sitting down and saying, guys, let's, let's put together design goals for gaining grounds one. Does that sound good? Sure. Cool. Uh, now or? Uh, no, I'll, I'll bring us back. Sorry. Okay. Now, Kyle. Jesus Christ, Kyle. <laughs> act like you've been on a podcast Come before. On. <laughs> 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 Shit together. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've already got enough to deal with when I got Matt. I don't need both. Of them, right? <laughs> all right. So, um, it, it, pfft, all right. That, that didn't happen. You all right? Yeah. You want to take a second? Think. Yeah. I just had a stroke. No big deal. <laughs> okay. Real, real funny. Laugh at my stroke. Um, I'm trying to think of how I want to bring this back. So the, 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 Kyle, maybe you, should, maybe you should leave the podcast, I Kyle. I got it. I got it. 